I'm Coach Tony Miller, and you're listening to a Quick Timeout Podcast. We have conversations with basketball coaches from around the country focused on specific topics designed simply to help grow the game. Thanks for tuning in to Coffee with Coaches presented by a Quick Timeout Podcast. Before we get to today's guest, I want to thank our sponsor over at Dr. Dish Basketball. Their shooting machines are used by some of the top programs around the country. And right now, if you mention a quick timeout, you can take off $300 off select models. Uh, to find out more, visit drdishbasketball.com. Excited today to welcome to the show coach of McAllister College, Co- Coach Abe Woldis Lassie. See, I even we talked about it and I still just butchered it. I'm sorry, Coach. Coach okay. Abe is our guest today. Coach, thanks so much for, co- for coming on the show. Hey, Tony and Andrew, thank you. Don't feel bad. I, I've had friends I've known for 20 years. They still struggle with it. So it's uh, no problem. No problem. We're good. Before we get too much further into things and talking about our topic for today, can you kind of give listeners a little bit of a background of, of how you kind of ended up there or back there at McAllister? Yeah. Yeah. So I graduated from McAllister in 2008 and grew up in Minneapolis. Uh, McAllister's in St. Paul, but um, started my coaching journey. I tell guys who gone to get into coaching, you know, I, I graduated on a Saturday and I started coaching on a Tuesday. So I would recommend people take a longer summer. Don't don't start like right away. Take a week or two, travel, kind of enjoy your time. But uh, I started coaching at Impact Basketball in Las Vegas. So we trained uh, NBA players, international pros, um, college, high school, middle school kids. And so I was out there for just under two years and then uh moved out east and, and coached at Bowdoin College, uh, Division three school in Brunswick, Maine. Uh, and then from there, I went to Dartmouth College in New Hampshire. Uh, for, I was there for a year. And then Davidson College in North Carolina. I was there for three years as the director of ops. And then uh, Siena College for two years in New York, Albany, or Loudonville, New York, and then back home. So it's been a, quite a journey, but uh, an amazing one. And the people you meet along the way are a big reason why, why I love coaching. And, um, and it's going to be back home so yeah coach and i know obviously you're you're at McAllister now and before you got there was was a program that was struggling a little bit you know hadn't been winning probably as much as they would like and um you know you showed up and kind of changed the program around but i know one thing that is so important when it comes to building a program or a culture is the mindset that you come in with so i'm just kind of curious what was the the mindset that you tried to approach uh, your job there with, and what was the mindset you tried to instill in your players that was um, a big impact in taking your program to the next level? Yeah, I, you know, and you brought the word C, the culture word, right? Every every coach when they come in, they talk. There's that YouTube clip of when they they interview the coaches, and like every split second, you know, every coach's culture, which we understand. But for me, it's it's commitment level, and so I think for those who um, maybe know the Division three level or don't, you know, we don't have athletic scholarships. We have a limited calendar compared to division one and division two so we had to find students currently who were at McAllister who were committed to the level I, I think we need and then also as you're recruiting you have to find those who fit um, fit that mindset so um, you know we have three team rules so we say number one is control what you can control number two is have passion three is be a great teammate and so we had to find and we have three because I've got to remember them right if we have 10 rules, if the coach can't remember them, the players may not. So we keep it to three. So we had to find guys, again, who are currently on the team, but also recruiting young men who who bought into that and believed in that. And we know that it doesn't happen overnight. And, and I actually, I was talking with a recruit last night and 
I asked him, I said, how many NCAA tournaments do you think we've made? And he said, he didn't know. And I said, we've never made an NCAA tournament. So, and I, I'm very open about that. We've made zero NCAA tournaments. So how can we expect to do that eventually if, if whatever we're doing, if we don't change what we're doing, right? So at some point we have to look inward and change. So um, it's going to take time and, and I'm excited for that challenge because eventually my hope is we do make it. And once we do, that's going to mean so much to not only the current guys who are playing and wearing the jersey, but those who have come before that, that never had that chance and, and to our whole whole community. So um, I'm, I'm excited for that journey. Yeah, it's awesome. And I, I love those three rules that you talk about in your program, just keeping it simple and, and just being very obvious of what you guys expect. And um, were there any key moments maybe in your first year or two that involved those three rules of your team, like some key moments that stood out where you said, man, like, that's going to be a turning point of our program, or that's going to be something we remember that took us to the next level. Yes. Yeah, so I guess going back to those, those three rules, number two is have passion. So I think when, when people think of passion, they think of a coach who's up and he's yelling and the bench is up, but um, it, it's easy to be passionate when you're up 20, right? Like it's, if a guy hits a three and you're up, everyone's cheering, but what about when you're down 20? And so there were times during that first year where I think at one point we were four and 17, Right. And so I'm sitting there and, you know, you're, you're kind of just holding your head and it's it's um, it's tough because you're you, you feel defeated at times. And, and I felt that even in practice, um, even when we were four and 17, even when we're, quote unquote, down 20, our team never gave up. And, and we were out of the playoff race at that point. And it would have been easy just to say, hey, we got four games left. Let's just kind of cash it in. And, and we ended up winning three of our last four, which to some may not sound like a lot, but that ended up in year one, helping us get to seven wins, which doubled the, or more than doubled the, the win total from the year before. So, you know, when I talk about that, that process of, of hopefully eventually getting to the NCAA tournament, I mean, that was that turning point when you're, you're four and 17 and you actually win three, the, the last four, it showed that, that our guys were passionate that they really cared and that they were buying in. And uh, it would have been really easy just to lay down and, and kind of quit. And, and we didn't. So um, it was not only a great way to end the year, but um, it, it propelled us into year two. So as you hear a coach talk, sometimes the things that you're saying, like, it sounds really good. And then people are like, okay, but what is he really like, like off the floor or away from that? And I remember the story when we first met, I was visiting a friend and I think you were there visiting the same friend, but also watching some recruits. And as we were talking, like you were really honest about what, what you guys were there. And, and there was a level of patience too. And, you know, you talked about things aren't going to turn overnight. And I think that I think you were entering or starting year two there. You were just at the beginning of year two. And you said, like, I, I don't think this is going to be something that we're going to change right away. And that level of patience, whereas I think probably for a lot of coaches at that point, they'd be like, all right, things are going to turn around and we're going to be we're going to be winning the conference championship and, you know, being realistic about even like the league that you guys are in and that kind of thing. How do you encourage somebody, a coach, a young coach, too? Because, I mean, you're not in your 40s or 50s. You're a young coach, and a lot of young coaches struggle with that, being patient, being realistic. How do you go about that, even on like a day-to-day -day basis? And how do you keep your players focused and involved, maybe even talking about some of the things that you've already mentioned there, but, but keeping patient and having that long-term view for your program? Yeah. So my, my eighth grade teacher, her name was Miss Colnane. She was an English teacher and she would always tell me patience is a virtue. And I'd say that was a virtue I didn't have. Right. <laughs> in eighth grade, I'm a 14 year old kid and you, you want everything to happen so fast. And 
uh, it's hard. And, and I have to constantly remind myself, and I have two amazing assistants, uh, Connor Nord, who, who's almost like an associate head coach for us, and then uh, Sam Johnson, who just joined us uh, a few months ago. But I have to lean on my coaches, and, and I have to constantly remind myself. But I know, you know, I, like I talked about, I was at Davidson for, for three years, amazing experience. We can maybe talk more about that later. But, um, you know, most people know Coach McKillop, and amazing coach, amazing person. And, you know, I, I even look at kind of how his – not that I'm comparing myself at all, but – I, you look at kind of the start of when he was at Davidson and, and there were some challenges along the way. And eventually he got to a point where it, it's an amazing program. And so I, I think really good things take time, you know, and, and I, I talked to my assistants about when you think of the best meal you've ever had, it, it's probably not out of the microwave, right? It was either on the grill or on the oven and it just, it just takes time and, and you have to know your history. And, and again, being someone who went to McAllister, who play, played here, graduated from here, it's um, I know the history of the program and I just know that it will take time. But when you know that it doesn't mean you sit back and you say, well, let's just wait till you're five. Like you, you have to do the work now and you just focus on doing the best you can that day. And then you move on, you move on. And then before you know it, it'll, it'll be year four, year five. But yeah, it's, it's leaning on your assistants. It's leaning on the alums and uh, your, the other athletic staff members and um, just knowing that, I beat, I believe really deep down we're, we're doing the right things and uh, in, in time we'll, we'll get to where we want to go. You're up there in a conference that, I mean, for the most part, I think if you, I remember what you told me, those coaches recruit a lot of local kids. Uh, I was just looking at your roster last night and I remember what you told me when we were talking there, the fact that, you know, you've got kids from California and Florida and Puerto Rico. I mean, they're, they're all over the place. Uh, I guess the question, first one that I have for you is how'd you, how'd you manage to recruit the budget wise for all those kids from all over the place? And then second of all, you know, especially during this, this time where we're separated from our players and the extended period of time, we're separated from our players. How do you continue to influence them and, and build that culture that you're trying to build there? You know, especially at a time where it's really important here in these first couple of years that you lay that foundation for, for what you have going forward. Yeah, so McAllister, I'll give a little plug to our college right now. But we so we have 2,100 students from every U.S. state, and then last year we had students from 98 countries, which is pretty unique, especially for a school of our size. And so I, I think in a lot of ways, McAllister um, it allows us to recruit nationally. And we even have one student uh, from Dubai. Uh, we have one student from Puerto Rico, and then like you mentioned, students from all over the the, the 50 U.S. states. So. We can't obviously travel everywhere. We don't have the budget of a Division One school where you can fly everywhere. But you know, you have to be creative and you have to lean on your your relationships. And I think for me, being on the East Coast for a lot of time, you know, we have a few um, prep school students coming in that I knew their prep school coaches pretty well. And and I just think the school does a great job of outreach. You know, our admissions department, advanced advance, advancement department, and all that. So. And then, you know, you go to different uh, high academic camps and AU tournaments and, and things like that, just like every coach in the country does. But I, I think our school profile makes it attractive to, to other students. The best basketball coaches are relying on data more than ever. That's why coaches love Huddle Assist. With Assist, you'll get full game breakdowns, including complete team and player stats, in less than 24 hours. Your stats are ready when you need them. And Assist is more than just a box score. Use interactive reports like shot charts and advanced stats like lineup data, VPS, and of course, effective field goal percentage to coach smarter. Plus, Assist brings your stats to life. Every stat is marked on the video at the moment it happened. 
See every shot, turnover, rebound, and much more with just a few clicks. Want to see how Huddle Assist is elevating basketball? Visit huddle.com slash assist. That's huddle.com slash assist to find out more. Coach, really quickly, let me tell you about a brand new app called Wildcard. It's a social engagement platform specifically designed for youth sports teams. You, your players, their parents, people are going to love this thing. The app allows you to create virtual training programs, manage schedules, give player and game reports, and post player videos and highlights. I've checked out the platform, and I highly recommend you give Wildcard a look. Especially in this climate, with a lot of us having limited or even no contact with our players, Wildcard allows you to stay connected and build culture with your players through the use of technology. Right now, there's a special promotion for a quick timeout listeners. You can download and use the app for free, but you must do so within the first two weeks of the release of this episode. So check the link in the show notes to download and start using Wildcard with your team today. You're going to love it. You talked a little bit about your time at Davidson as the director of operations and, and things you, you know, the, the guy you work for and Bob McKillop. And obviously, in my experience, I've learned how, how easy it is to learn from guys who have been around and who have done the job really well. And I'm kind of curious to hear a little bit about your experience at Davidson and share some of the takeaways that you learned from Coach McKillop that not only made you a better coach and better person, but some things that you saw him do with a, a seasoned program that you implemented in your program as you took over as a Division three head coach. Yeah, so I, I was there for three years uh, from 2013 to 2016. So, so it was an interesting time where we were, it was our last year in the Southern Conference, and then we were going to be joining the A-10. So it was the SOCON my, my first year, and then the A-10 my, my last two. When I think of coach, I think of, again, I haven't been in every practice or every gym in the country, but I, I can't imagine there's a, a better coach to learn from, and that's no knock on anyone else. And for a coach who has op- had opportunities to leave and, and maybe go to a quote unquote bigger program or a high major. I don't know this for a fact, but he may be the one of the only coaches in division one who walks to every home game. He, you know, he lives like a, a block away. And so when you think of that and you think of the investment he has there and the overall quality of life and, and how much, you know, all three kids that went to Davidson um, there, there's a reason why he stayed. I mean, it, it's an amazing place, but I'd say his attention to detail, you know, there are things that you think, I don't know, I played college and then I coached it a few programs before, and then you get there and in some ways it's like, man, do I even know the game, right? Like mm-hmm. there is just there's certain ways he looks at it and breaks things down that he just has a special eye for it and a commitment to it and a, a sound, sound belief in what he's doing. And, um, you know, there are times where, you know, a lot of coaches, especially at that, especially at that level, if they're recruiting a kid, a lot of times a coach will ask, well, who else has offered him? And coach would, would really trust his own eyes. So we had guys who we had offered that no one else had offered. And people are like, well, why is Davidson offering this kid that has, quote, you know, no offers? But, you know, he really trusts his eyes. He knows what he wants. He recruits, you know, a specific type of player that can obviously fit the system and and um, is really selfless. So when you see – when your head coach is working – as hard as he does, then that goes down to the assistants, then the student managers, then obviously the the players on the team. And and he sets the tone, not only for our team, but, but I think really the whole department. So really inspiring. You know, he, he was, he was a head high school coach for 16 years. And, and I think, you know, when you think of the best coaches, you know, some might think NBA and they're amazing coaches at the NBA, but college, high school, you know, different levels of college, 
And so to think about he was a high school coach for 16 years and went right to college, that, that's pretty rare. But again, that's a credit to him and, and just his ability to teach and, and connect with people. So he's a special man, an amazing coach, and um, just really grateful to, to have been there. We've got a diverse group that watches the show and listens to this podcast, and uh, they may not quite understand the differences. And I'd like to hear the differences in your mind and the challenges maybe that you even face right now. But going from working in a D1 program, several D1 programs, to now being a Division three coach. Differences, challenges, uh, what do you like better about it? Anything connected to those those three things? Yeah, so the the First thing, you know, again, we, we don't have athletic scholarships, right? So division one, division two, you have athletic division three. We don't. So we either have need-based aid or merit-based aid. So there's one factor. The calendar is really different. So in division three, we're not allowed to start practice till October 15th. That's like the, that's like a holiday for division three basketball coaches, right? That's a, a big, big day. And so, you know, and usually your first game is early November, you play through February, March, and then out after those 19 weeks you're allotted, then your, your season is essentially done. And so they can still work with the, our players can work with the strength coach, but they're, they're not allowed to work with us on the court. So going back to Andrew's original question of kind of culture, you know, I talk about commitment level. So you have to have guys who are committed just um, not during those, those 19 weeks, but obviously when we can't work with them. So, so it's a challenge, but when you do find the right kids with, with the right mentality, uh, then you can have a special team. And so any level, again, winning feels great and losing sucks, right? Like that's just the truth. I don't care what level you're at. And so it, it feels the same at division three. And, and in a lot of ways I could argue our guys are, are maybe more passionate sometimes than, than division one because they don't have a scholarship. So when you think about why they're choosing to play, they really love the game. They enjoy their teammates and coaches and they love to compete and, when you have enough guys that you're around that, that have that mentality, then it, it, it makes it really enjoyable. So we're, again, we're now I'm going into my third year. And so we're, I feel like now we're getting to a place where there's ultimate buy-in and the guys again, really enjoy their time and, and everyone's on the same page. So, so I love it. You know, we're, we're not, a, we're not on TV as much again as, as division one, you don't travel on private charters and all that stuff. But um, when you, when everyone starts to realize why they, coach and for me when you when you really break it down all of that stuff is extra that that's icing on the cake but it really deep down doesn't doesn't matter a whole lot so it's the the people you surround yourself with the relationships um and the, ch the chance to compete so um I, there's again like anything in life there are pros and cons to every situation but um but i'm, I'm really happy with, with, with where i'm at with uh with matt so yeah, coach, when I was when I was a Division three head coach, I made the jump from NAI to Division three. And obviously in NAI, we didn't have a whole lot of rules. We we could kind of talk to our players when we wanted and it, it just there wasn't a whole lot holding us back. And then I went to Division three and quickly found out man, you get there in the, or the summer and the fall and there's certain times you can have team building sessions. There's certain times yeah. you can have leadership sessions. You can only work out with your players, this and that. And there was just so many rules that I really wasn't aware of at the time. And I'm kind of curious when, you know, what do you do maybe late summer, early fall when the kids come back uh, for the semester, but how do you build those relationships that you talked about? Um, kind of being bound by some of the rules, but team building stuff, leadership stuff, how do you, how do you get to that point? Yeah. I think part of it is being really visible on campus. So 
a nice thing about McAllister, I think, is that it's very walkable. And so a lot of times uh, I don't I'm not a huge office guy. I like I like getting out and seeing students. And and so I may drop by a class as they're walking out, just say hi to them and see what's going on, uh, going to the dining hall. Uh, you know, we're not allowed in the gym when they're playing. So um, you, you do have to be creative. And so we will get together, you know, right after they'll have a lifting session with our, with our strength coach. Um, I might be out there and just meet them out and just to kind of give guys high fives and just um, just kind of be there for them. So um, we'll do a few team building things. You know, we'll, we'll watch, a, like we may watch a movie together. Um, we may do a, a there's a, a bowling alley not too far away. It's and a lot of it too is getting other alums involved. So we, there are a lot of McAllister alums that are in the Twin Cities. So even though I can't maybe be on the court with them, then with some of our former players that come in and jump with them and, and talk to them about. Again, you you only get if you're lucky, you get four years to wear the jersey, and then after that, you hand it in, and now it's the next guy's turn. So like while you're wearing the jersey, there's the book um, Legacy, and you know they they talk about like sweeping the sheds and honoring the Jersey and like leaving it in a better place. So I want, I want our current seniors to have a better senior year than I did. And then I want our juniors to have a better year than our seniors. And I want our sophomores and, and so on. And so then you get to a place where you look back and it's like, wow, this, this isn't even the same program. This is an entirely new thing. And so just, just leaving it a little bit better than you found it. And that's, that's the beauty of college basketball, you know? And so it, it's really an exciting time. I think the more the players have a voice, the more that, that you can, we can all get them talking in June and July and August, September, the, the better off we'll be in November, December, January, and so on. So, you know, you've been there uh, a few years now. And if you had the opportunity, whether to go back in time and start this program, start at this program again, or if you get the opportunity to maybe lead another struggling program, is there, uh, kind of a twofold question. Is there either something that you would say, hey, I need to make sure that I do this again? Or if you're telling another coach, make this a priority when you are taking over a program. Or you can kind of flip that around and say, uh, you know, don't do this as a head coach. Make sure you don't do this. But if you had that opportunity to go back in time, what would be your answer to those questions? Man, you know, I, I feel like you try to make the best decision with the information you have at the time. I don't want to say I wouldn't change anything. You know, maybe it's... Um, when, when Tony talked about patience, you know, just, just having maybe even a little more patience. And there were times where you, you get, you just, we're coaches, right? We're human. You get frustrated and maybe, um, you know, the, and, and I feel like the guys are trying, no one's ever dogging it, but just, just having a little more patience. You know, we, we had um, our athletic director brought in uh, another coach, uh, just at another school to talk to our department. And one of the things she said that, that I really enjoyed that I guess I didn't do in year one, cause I didn't know she, she came in right before year two but she asked her team three questions uh, at the end of every season. What's one thing our team should stop doing? What's one thing our team should start doing? And what's one thing our team should continue to do? So stop, start, continue. And so I, I actually asked all of our seniors who are graduating this past year because they, um, you know, their seniors are graduating. They, they can just speak freely. And, and one of the things, and again, I, I appreciate that Tony said I was open because I, I try to be as open as possible because, we're all coaching. We're all kind of going through this together. And, and I asked them all to do it separately. But but three of the four seniors said that as a coach, I should stop. Uh, I was stopping practice a little too much. So a guy would have a turnover. I'd blow the whistle and I'd correct. And it was never to demean. It was never to put anyone down, but it was just to correct the mistake. And, and what they were saying was that 
it, it was, you know, when you're in a game and you turn the ball over, the ref doesn't blow the whistle and like explain it to you, right? You have to get back and like play on. And, and they felt that I was maybe stopping things too much. And so as a coach, we have to take constructive criticism and we have to see, well, maybe I'm seeing a certain way, but the players are seeing it. And at the end of the day, you have to, we have to make sure our players are getting it. It's not about, well, I get it in my head. Like, are they understanding? So how can I connect with them on their level? So now going into year three, uh, I, I'm going to try not to stop practice as much, you know, and, and maybe I'll wait till the play is dead and then correct. You know, I, and they're like, you can wait another 15 or 20 seconds and still remember and still make that same point, but just not stop it right there. So um, that's just one example, Andrew, but I think that that stop, start, continue thing, I, I would encourage all coaches to ask your seniors when they're graduating, just to see what, what response you get. And um, that, that's something we'll use moving forward. Awesome. Coach, thanks so much for joining us today. Ton of great stuff. Um, you know, I'm going to come back and listen to this again. And then also I'm going to give you some more phone calls uh, in a position several years ahead of ahead of where we're at in our program. And so I'm, I'm going to hopefully rely on you for some things here. But I really appreciate you coming on the show this morning. Yeah, this is this is awesome. I, I just appreciate the platform you guys are, are giving coaches and um, the the beauty of social media. You know, P, social media gets a bad rap. And I think it's because some people use it poorly and it's a great tool. So when used wisely, um, it's amazing the people you can connect with along the way and the people you can learn from. So I just, Tony, I appreciate you reaching out to me. And obviously, Andrew, we, we just met as well, but um, it just means a lot that you guys have had me. That'll do it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again at the next time out.